Well, good morning. Good to see you today. I want to uh, take just a second welcome those of you who are uh, in another location, maybe uh, here on this campus, the chapel or warehouse. Uh, we're glad that you guys are with us. Uh, if you're in an off-site location uh, or on the internet, wherever you happen to be, we're glad that you're along. What's up with the hat? Well, um, <laughs> glad you asked. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a series called The New Normal. And uh, because of some skin cancer surgery this week, uh, for the next two or three weeks, uh, this will be the new normal for me until I grow some hair back on my head. How's that? And uh, so, and you don't want to see what's underneath there anyway. Some of you do, and that's why you're here today. But, uh, (laughs) all right, So, so we moved to South Carolina 25 years ago, maybe, we moved from Illinois, and the, when we moved to, new, to South Carolina, there were some new things that were going to become normal, right? When, when something new happens, something changes, there is a new normal that it takes a little while getting used to. Would you agree with that? Here was one for me in Illinois. Uh, well, here's how it happened. We're sitting at a stoplight uh, here in uh, Charleston somewhere, and the light turned green, and I, and, and I waited for about a two-second count. And then I tapped on the horn, just a courtesy honk, you know, to help them to, you know, hey, it's time to move forward. And my wife says, did you notice you're the only one that honks your horn uh, down here in South Carolina? They're so polite, you very seldom hear a horn. In Illinois, where we came from, it's horns all the time. It's just like, let me, let me help you to remember what you're doing right now, that type of thing. And uh, so, so I got down here, and I like the new normal. I really do. I like the new normal, but I find myself especially at first, kind of drifting back into what was the old way of doing things. That's kind of the new normal. For you guys, it might be this. You know, it's fairly close to the first of the year, and you always make resolutions, right? And you make eating resolutions because we're all going to lose weight. You know, all of us are going to do that. And I have to eat a lot to keep my weight up. i got to be honest with you. you know? But uh, so, so we're going to lose weight. And then we have a, a church-wide fast, 21 days. And so it helps you, and you're doing good, and you, you get off the fast, right? And, you, and when you get off the fast, you say what we've said is, uh, if you adjusted your eating habits very much, boy, this feels good. This is the new normal. It feels healthy. But I'm just going to do one thing when I'm off. And so you find yourself two-fisting uh, five guys. You know, I mean, you've got a burger in each hand. And, uh, and you fall back into the, into the old normal. So what we're going to do is we're going to study the book of Galatians. And last week was inspirational. I mean, when we left this place, we were ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. You know, we were ready to go. Well, this week is going to be doctrinal. And I think it's going to, I'm going to make it taste good. Medicine tastes good when you, you know, put some flavor to it. But there's doctrine here that we all need if we're going to live in the new normal that God has for us. This group of people in Galatians, as you're going to find out, has come to Christ. They've heard the gospel. And it's been a life transformational deal. But they have fallen back into old ways of thinking, into the old normal rather than the new normal. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about why. But uh, I want to just, first of all, give you a little bit of background because we're going to spend the next few weeks in the book of Galatians. I want to, I want to um, give you a little bit of background on who the people are in Galatia and uh, why they would 
that Paul would write the way that he did to them so that we can kind of kind of feel uh, who they are, what they're about, and kind of get on their same wavelength. Uh, the book of Galatians is written uh, by Paul, and it was written somewhere around 50 A.D., which tells us that it was maybe 15 to 20 years uh, following the crucifixion of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. So it's really contemporary to that time. It's just a few years after that. It's written to churches in Galatia. Now, where is Galatia? Well, Galatia is a, it's, it's a slice of modern-day Turkey, okay? So what do you think of when you think of a slice of Turkey? You know, that's probably what you think of, but it's a, a Subway turkey sandwich. But that, that's, not, that's not what it is. Modern-day Turkey, and I think we've got a map with modern-day Turkey. Uh, if you can kind of take a look at uh, the lower kind of left-hand side, you see Jerusalem, and that's where the church has started. And you go up, and you've got Syria, and then you've got Turkey. So uh, modern-day Turkey, well, a whole, just a slice through the middle of that were the churches of Galatia. And they were a unique uh, type of people. They were Celtic people. What do you think of when you think of Celtic? Anybody? Scotland, Ireland, right? Because that's where the Celts uh, kind of have uh, survived. Well, the Celtic people were uh, Central Europe, and they went out in all different directions. In fact, some of them went into France. They were called the Gauls. And it's from the word Gaul that we get Galatians. So you had people that were Celtic. Think of, you know, uh, kilts and bagpipes. Uh, I'm not sure they had kilts and bagpipes back then, but they were Celtic people living in Galatia. That was kind of their homeland at the time. And they are what um, we would call pagans, or if, if you were coming from a Jewish point of view, you would call them Gentiles. And Gentiles and pagans referred to anybody outside of the faith of the one true God. Why that's important is that these guys had no Jewish background. We have we have background. Even if you're not Jewish here, we are a part of a, a, a Judeo-Christian ethic. When you have your Bible, you've got the Old Testament, which is by and large the Jewish Bible, and then you've got the New Testament. We, we read all of the stories in the Old Testament, so we're somewhat familiar with them, although they confuse us from time to time because we don't live with them all of the time. We don't have the ceremonial laws and all of that. They had none of that. None of that. They didn't know anything about Moses. They didn't know anything about Abraham. They didn't know anything about the laws. Every once in a while, they did meet Jewish people who lived there, but they thought they were a little little out there, a little bit strange. They didn't have that as a background at all. In fact, if they worshipped anything, they worshipped multiple gods. So they were, they were distant from the Judeo-Christian uh, faith. They didn't have any of that type of background. Now, what I want to do is this week we are going to study verses 1 through 10, which lays a background for the entire book of Galatians. In fact, you'll, you'll find that they'll come back and refer to the same things over and over and over again. So if you have an, uh, a Bible, you can follow along. If you have an outline sheet, or uh, you can see it on the screens too. Uh, Galatians 1, 1 through 10. Let me, let me begin to read it. He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins 
to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul established the churches in Galatia. He, he was the missionary that came, so he had a relationship with these guys. And when he writes a letter, you know, when you write a letter, you know, or send an email or whatever, we've kind of shortened it with email, but when you write a letter, usually you don't get right to the point of things, right? You write the letter and you say, dear so-and-so, you know, uh, it sure is good to know you and da-da-da-da. You've got this kind of standard thing that you do. Well, he has a standard thing that he does in all of his letters. If you read Colossians and Corinthians and the Ephesians and the various letters, Philippians, that Paul writes, he always kind of starts it the same way. He says, hey, this is Paul, and he justifies who he is. He says, I'm an apostle by the grace of God, and you know, says it in different ways. And then, he, and then he'll say... Um, good things about God, you know, that God is gracious and all this kind of stuff. And then usually what he does is he says nice things about them because it's, it's easier to read a letter when somebody says something nice about you right up front, right? Okay. And so he usually says, you know, I thank God for you when I pray for you, you know, like he said to the Philippians. And, or, or he might say, um, I, you know, every time I think of you, I think about your faith and your hope and your love or maybe your perseverance. You know, he says nice things. He doesn't say anything nice about these guys. He basically says, I'm Paul, God is good, and you're a bunch of jerks. Okay, watch what he does. Watch what he does. Very interesting. He says, (laughs) next verse, I am astonished. You amaze me. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. There's no, hey, you guys are awesome. Your faith is good. I thank God when I remember you. It's you ticked me off. I came, I preached the gospel. You received it. And I cannot believe how quickly you've been deceived. I cannot believe how quickly you've turned away to another gospel, which isn't even a gospel. There is only one gospel. And so let's go on. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. And as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. How about saying the same thing twice? He's saying, are you listening I don't care, he says, if it's an angel. This is when you shouldn't listen to an angel. It could be me. It could be anybody else. If they are preaching a gospel other than the gospel that we preached, then they ought to be condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So that's what I want to study today. And here's my questions. Why is Paul so hot? What's got him so ticked off? What's such a big deal? Why is it so important? And here's what's more important is could it happen to us? Or if he was writing to Seacoast today, would he say the same thing? Would he say, you have been deceived. You have been given a gospel, but you've received another gospel, which is no gospel at all. And really those that teach it should be condemned. So that's kind of the context of it. So I want to give you three lessons on living in the new normal from what we've just uh, read. Here's, here's the first one. If we aren't careful, the gospel can stop being good news. 
If we aren't careful, the gospel can stop being good news. Now, now let me stop here just for a minute and ask you a question. If, if uh, somebody at work tomorrow was to come to you, or on the way home from uh, or to a restaurant or wherever you go after this, one of your kids, if you've got kids in the car, or one of your friends turns to you and asks you the question, what is the gospel? How would you respond? I want you to think about that for a minute. What is the gospel? How would you respond? That's such an important question. That's the whole issue of Galatians, and it's what our faith is built on. How would you respond if someone said, could you very easily and very quickly say, here is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, let me, let me help you with that. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul very clearly defines the gospel. He says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, the gospel that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and still do now, for your faith is built upon this wonderful message. It is the good news that saves you if you firmly believe it, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. He says, okay, here here it comes. This is what saves you. This is the new normal. It's the gospel. And here it is. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins. Just as the Scripture said, He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, as the Scripture said. So if somebody asks you, what is the gospel? Here's the answer. Christ died for my sin. He was buried and then He rose again on the third day. And because of that, and if I believe in that, I can have eternal life. That's the gospel, okay? That's the gospel. And if you don't get anything else today, you go home and meditate on that. Memorize, memorize, memorize. If somebody wants to know what is the gospel, Jesus Christ died for my sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And if I believe in that and trust in that and that alone, I can have eternal life. That's the gospel. Now, the gospel is good news. Do you remember... Most of you have made a commitment to Christ. Do you remember first coming to Christ? And maybe the, when you first decided, based on a wooing that God had of you, that you were going to follow Him and you were going to come to Christ. Some of you came to Christ with a lot of baggage. I'm looking at you right now. I know who you are. Okay? And it was really, really good news that God, based just on a confession of Jesus, that God would forgive all of your sin. All of your sin, everything that you had ever done. And what you didn't know is that everything that you would do in the future, Jesus took to the cross and he forgave you. And it was exciting stuff. I remember when I first believed, I was raised in a, in a Christian home, Christian church, but I remember when I was about 18 or 19 years old, when I really trusted God and believed. And what good news. Man, it was fresh. I was amazed. I was forgiven. And then friends uh, came to me and said, you know, you have to believe, but you've got to believe and be baptized to really be saved. You're not really saved unless you're baptized. And then other friends came to me because of the background that we're in, and they said, you know what? It's good that you believe, but in order to really be saved, you've got to believe and speak in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, then you're not, you're not really saved and you don't really believe. I had other friends later that said, you know what, it's good to believe, but if you really believed and if you're really saved, 
you'll have a consistent quiet time. So if you don't have a consistent quiet time, and I never had a consistent anything, but if you don't have a consistent quiet time with the Lord, then you're probably not really saved. And then other friends came and said, you know what? If you believe, you've got to believe, and you've got to be a part of a church, and you've got to serve in that church. Because if you're not serving in the church, and you're not a regular attender of church, then you probably really didn't believe so you may not really be saved. And here's what happened. Is that the gospel went from being good news to a chore. The gospel went from being Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again to a bunch of other pluses. A bunch of other pluses. The gospel plus. And what Paul says is that they became another gospel entirely, and it wasn't the gospel and that those who taught it should be condemned. It is so easy to go from the gospel, the good news, to something else. All of those things that people were telling me I needed to do, be baptized, speak in tongues, be a part of a church, have a quiet time, serve, those are good things. Those are good things. They just aren't the gospel. They just aren't the gospel. In fact, those things grow out of love and not fear of the gospel. So what was the other gospel that Paul was so ticked off at the Galatians about? Um, Galatians was written at about the same time as, uh, you, you know, if you read the book of Acts, Acts is kind of the story of the church. And, and most of the books of the, the rest of the books of the New Testament were written sometime during the book of Acts. Do you understand what I'm saying? The book of Acts tells the history and then it, Paul writes a letter and you can kind of trace it to where it was. And we can trace the book of Galatians to about Acts chapter 15 because it's the same issue. And here's what happened in Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas were having this incredible revival in Syria. Remember, we looked at the map and you had Turkey and you had Syria, Antioch of Syria. And they're having it among Gentiles, which is a whole new thing because the church up to this point is Jewish. It's all Jewish. The, the entire church uh, is, is, um, is Jewish. And, and uh, so they're preaching to Gentiles and they're having massive revival. And so, so some of the guys from Jerusalem go to see the revival. And here's what they say in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men came to Judea and arrived and began to teach the Christians, unless you keep the ancient Jewish custom of circumcision taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And what was he talking about? Well, the Jewish people had a covenant. They had a deal with God. That's what a covenant is. It's a deal with God. And it's, it, it, it's found in Genesis uh, chapter 17 and verse 7. And the deal was this, is that God said to Abraham, he said, I'm going to make a deal with you. You're going to have kids. And I'm going to make nations out of you. And I am going to be your God and you are going to be my people. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing to other nations. People are going to look at you and they're going to say, you know what, the God that they worship is the one true God because of how I care for you. Now here's the deal. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And I'm going to give you a, a, a sign of the covenant. I'm going to give you something that you can wear, that you can show. When people, people see this, they'll know that you are are my people. 
And now we're going to go into Greg's interpretation because nobody was there at the time. And so, and so I, I can see Abraham going, you're going to be my God. You're going to be my kid's God, and you're going to give me a sign. He's thinking bling. Okay, he's, he's thinking something really nice I can wear. He says, great, what's the sign? And God says, it's circumcision. And Abraham says, that's awesome. What's circumcision? And so God calls me and says, I better whisper this one to you. You know, there's some ladies in the crowd. And so, and, and so he comes over and he whispers what circumcision is. And Abraham goes, could it just be a ring? Could I just like have a ring that we can put on? And God says, no, this is going to be our sign. It's going to be circumcision. And Abraham goes, can I think about it for a while, you know, just kind of ease into it? No, God says, no, right now. Now is the time. I've made a covenant with you. And um, you're to do it and all of your sons. And, and so he does. And right there he circumcises everybody. And then they make a decision that they're going to do it on the eighth day of every little Jewish boy that's born is going to be circumcised because for the Jews, the pathway to righteousness with God began with circumcision. Now, Paul comes preaching to the Gentiles good news. What is the good news? He comes preaching to Gentiles. You can have a clean conscience. You can be right with God. You can be forgiven all your sins, everything you've ever done, everything you're going to do. You can be forgiven if you will just believe, what's the gospel, that Jesus died for our sin, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And this was incredible because their pagan religion, everything around them was all about all the things that you had to do in order to get right with God. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And he says, no, you don't have to do all that. All you've got to do is believe it's been done for you. Massive revival, very popular. And then Jewish believers come saying, time out, time out, time out. You're not really a Christian unless you're circumcised. Circumcision line starts right here. And it's like, nothing will kill a revival like requiring adult male circumcision. And so Paul gets really mad. He gets really mad. He says, this is not the gospel. This is another gospel. This is the gospel plus. Okay, Jesus' death is good, but you've got to do this too. He says, no, 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 it's another gospel, and it's not even the gospel. And so they have this big council in Jerusalem to decide, and it's a very important time. And after much arguing, they decide that Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, that that is not a part of the gospel. And then they, they wrote a letter and they, and they went to read it in all the Gentile churches. In Acts 15, verse 31, it says, And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Have you know there was? There was. See, if you read behind the scenes, you can see this stuff. The Bible's good. It's kind of funny sometimes. Now, just let, let me put a paragraph on this, okay? Just or a parenthesis on this. Paul later defines the Christian equivalent of circumcision. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So here's what he's saying. He's saying in the Old Testament, 
In the Abrahamic covenant, there is a sign of the covenant, and it's called circumcision. Now, actually, in, in, uh, in uh, Hebrews, it says, and I don't have time to get all into that, that Abraham was actually saved or considered righteous by his faith. It wasn't circumcision. It was his faith. He believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. But there was a symbol or a sign that he, that, that he was to wear that said that we're part of the covenant. And Paul says in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, um, he says the covenant or the sign of the covenant is baptism. Baptism. That's how people know that you are a part of the New Covenant. It's like, uh, okay, how many of you are married right now? Happily married. No, I, no, I didn't mean that. How many of you are married? Okay. What is the sign that you are married? Your ring, right? Your ring, absolutely. That is the sign that you are married. Now, a ring doesn't make you married. You can go put on a ring and not be married. But here's what I know. I've done hundreds of weddings over the years. And we always have a ring ceremony. But the ring ceremony follows the vows, right? First you go... I'm committing myself to, you know, uh, till death do his part and all that, all, all that stuff. I had one guy who wanted to rewrite his vows, and, which is fine. We, we allow him to do that. But I had a hunch on this one. And uh, I, said, I said, which part do you want to uh, leave out? And he said, that till death do his part. That is a long time. I said, no, you're leaving that in there. Okay. And, so, and, so, and so we say that to one another. And then based on saying that we're married, that point, then, then we always say, and what token do you give as a symbol or as a sign of this marriage, and it's it's the ring. So the ring follows the confession of fidelity that we give, and in the same way, um, the vows of the Christian faith is a confession that I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin, and and. Th- Part and parcel of that is repentance, is understanding that you are a sinner. You can't do anything about it. He died for my sin. He was buried, and he rose again. Based on that confession, then we are baptized as a sign of the covenant. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. There are some churches that would teach that, that baptism is necessary for salvation. I would say that is gospel plus. Okay, that's gospel plus. Now, the means of baptism, we can argue about. I think it's something that ought not to split any church, really. You know, there are all kinds of ways of baptizing. Now, what we do here, and we strongly, strongly encourage, is that you be baptized by immersion, uh, which symbolizes uh, being buried with Christ and coming up in new life. Okay, but um, does that save you? No, it doesn't. What if somebody made a confession of faith, made a confession of faith, and then uh, before they were able to get baptized, they had a heart attack and died. Would they be saved? Yes, they would. So it's not necessary. If it was necessary, it would be necessary in all situations. Now let me go one step further. This is doctrine, guys. One step further. If you're married and you refuse to wear a ring, there may be a few reasons for that. Like me, your fat little finger, you know, grew. You know, I don't know how that happened, and the ring didn't. And, but there's a solution to that. Um, it's called uh, 
whatever, they, where they expand the ring. You know, mine's expanded almost to the limit. You know, it's the same one from 35 years ago. Or maybe, you know, at work, you can't do it. But, but if, if there is, if you say, I'm not going to wear the ring because I don't want to be identified as being married, then there's a problem with that. Would you agree with that? And in the same way with baptism. If you say, I haven't been baptized since I believed, there may be one or two theological reasons for that. Uh, you need to really think it through. But for 99% of us, um, we ought to be baptized. But there's no good reason not to be baptized because it is the sign of the covenant. It says, I'm a part of the team. And so today, what's cool is we have a wonderful baptism uh, pool outside. And during our response time, I would love to see, as there were last night, dozens of you say, you know what? It's time for me to be baptized. I have believed, but I have not stepped into the sign or wear the sign of the covenant. And so uh, God's going to prompt you and you need to be baptized. I want you to be thinking about it right now. You say, well, I didn't come prepared to be baptized. We, we prepared for you. Um, we've got clothes, we've got towels, we've got all that. And you say, well, if it's full immersion, will my hair get wet? Jesus died for you and your hair will get wet, okay? <laughs> all right, so it's just kind of the way it goes. And we will celebrate together your baptism. Does that sound good? Does that sound good? But understand, okay, go ahead and applaud. That's great. But understand, baptism is an act of obedience in response to the gospel. Baptism is not one and the same as the gospel. Does that make sense? And so Paul is all over them. And he said, here's what you've done. You have added something to the gospel. You've said that they've got to be circumcised. Let's keep the gospel pure. at Seacoast. If we aren't careful, the gospel can stop being the good news. That makes sense? Okay, let's go to a second thought. It's fairly easy to be deceived. It's fairly easy to be deceived. You've got a whole church here that's deceived. Galatians 1 and verse 7 says, you're being fooled by those who twist and change the truth concerning Christ. I remember uh, early in our ministry, a girl named Luann came to know the Lord. And she was, uh, she was saved and it was a cool deal. And, and uh, she began to experience the joy of her salvation. And um, it, our church was really, really small. And Debbie and I got to know her very, very well. And we began to pray for her husband, who had never really been to church. And we prayed for him for weeks and then months. And then it went into a couple of years. And, and finally, he started coming to church. He had not made a commitment yet, but he was very open to what was going on. And at about that same time, someone preached a different gospel to Luann. Someone preached that, if you really are saved, you need to go much, much deeper than what you're doing. And, I, and there's, a, there's a need for us to go deeper into the Word. I challenge you guys to, to go that. But let me tell you, let me define deep. Can I, can, can I define deep for you? Maturity in the Lord and going deep in the Lord is not what you know, it's who you love. That's how you can determine whether someone is deep in the Lord. It's who they love. Do they love everybody? Do they love their family? Do they love the church? Do they love the world? Do they love difficult people? And the more that you love, the deeper you are. Some people think that deep has to do with the things that you know. And, and, and I just don't see that. But they, she started chasing a crazy gospel. 
It was a crazy God. They were, they were looking for signs everywhere, and it was just nuts. It really was. We tried to love her, but she got further and further from the church. She actually started uh, taking her husband to these places where she could go deeper, and her husband drowned in it. In other words, he said, I don't want anything to do with that. And he quit coming to church altogether. And Debbie and I just mourned that. We thought, she is so deceived as to see it's not about her. We've prayed for years for her husband. Now her husband is coming. Now she's chasing after this other gospel. I felt a little bit like Paul did there. Years later, she realized the error of her ways. But up till this day, he still, as far as I know, has not made a commitment to follow the Lord. You know, it's actually fairly easy to be deceived. In fact, I read a study this week that said those who felt like they, and this had to do with relationships, but those who felt like they were the least likely to be deceived were actually the easiest to fool. So what, what I want to do is just for just a second here is I wonder what the false teachers look like that came to Colossians or, or came to Galatians because they come through here. Uh, you, you can see them uh, sometimes in church. You can see them sometimes on television. I'm not saying that everybody on television is a false teacher by, by no means, by no means. But you need to understand what false teachers look like. How will you, how will you spot them? L- let me give you two or three things. First of all, you need to know the truth. You need to know the truth. I, I heard, I'm not sure if it's true, but several people told me that those who, um, uh, they, they train to spot counterfeit money Rather than looking at all the examples of counterfeit, they look at, they study what the real thing looks like. Because if you know the real thing, then when something looks different, it doesn't matter what kind of different it is, you go, no, 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 that's different, that's not the real thing. And so the Bible says in first, or 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, it says, do, yourself to pre- do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Um, I want to challenge you at Seacoast to become students of the word. You say, well, I'm not a theologian. Become one. How do you do that? Just read the word. In fact, um, during this series, I challenge you, Everybody, if you would do, uh, uh, join me in this, read one chapter of Galatians every day. They're not long. One chapter of Galatians every day. And if you do that, every week you'll read the whole book. And over the six to eight weeks that we're going to do this series, you will become a student of the Word, at least the part that is Galatians. And you'll have a much less chance of being deceived because this book is about deception. Okay, does that make sense? And so know the truth. Second thing you do is... Uh, Check the fruit uh, of those who may be uh, teaching, who might be deceptive. Matthew 12 and verse 33, Jesus says, A tree is identified by its fruit. Make a tree good, and and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. So what do you look for in fruit? What do they say about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? Jesus said to Peter one time, Who do people say that I am? And Peter said, uh, or, Or who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I say that you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus blessed him. And so what do they say? Beware of anybody who denies Jesus' equality to God. You've got to dig to find this stuff. Or downplays his sacrificial death or rejects his humanity. Second thing you look for is, do they preach the gospel? Just because somebody advocates, just because somebody's a really good speaker doesn't mean they preach the gospel. Just because they advocate, you know, giving to the poor or, you know, uh, 
uh, great moral things in the family or whatever it happens to be does not necessarily mean that they're preaching the gospel. We all know what the gospel is now, right? Right? Do we know the gospel? Okay. All right, good. Um, Do they exhibit the character qualities that glorify the Lord? Jude chapter 11 talks about false teachers. And here's what he says. How terrible it will be for them. For they follow the evil example of Cain who killed his brother. What was his example? Pride. Pride. If you find someone uh, teaching, uh, whether that's one-on-one or in a group, and um, pride comes through a whole lot more than humility, maybe a false teacher. No, no, maybe. But they follow the example of Cain, pride. Like Balaam, they will do anything for money. That's the second characteristic. Greed. If in the teaching, it's all about money, 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 money cometh, give money to me, money, money, money. It is about greed, and it's probably a false teacher, okay? It's probably a false teacher. The third characteristic, it says, and like Korah, they will perish because of their rebellion. Somebody who's really proud that they're a rebel, you know, and it's all about the rebellion thing. Probably a false teacher. And if you get all three of those together, somebody who's prideful, talks all the time about money and is really into the rebellion thing, you can just about guarantee that's a false teacher. The gospel may sound great, but it's not the gospel. It is another gospel, and it will lead you astray. So if we aren't careful, the gospel can stop being good. It's easy to be deceived. Let me give you one last, just a mini thought, and then we're going to close. Hard conversations become easier when you keep the focus in the right place. Hard conversations become easier when you keep the focus in the right place. I thought about Paul. These are people that he loves. These are people that he had sowed into. And now he's saying some pretty hard things. How many of you really enjoy hard conversations with people? There's a few of you. I thank God for you. You're strange. But um, no, you're not strange. It's just how, how you're gifted. Most of us, we shy away from hard conversations. And some of you have someone close right now who's being deceived. They may be being deceived financially. I know we had a family member that was fallen for one of these get-rich-quick things, one of these Internet scams. And it was everything that we could do to talk her, you know, to, and it was a hard conversations. It may be relationally. You may have a teenager in your home, or you may have a best friend who um, they are being deceived relationally. Somebody that they are giving their heart to is, is deceiving them. And... Um, Corinthians says, uh, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And there's somebody, and, it, and you need to have a conversation with them. Or there, there may be someone who's being deceived spiritually, honestly. There's, there's a deceptive prophet that's leading them astray, and you need to have a conversation. But you get a knot in the pit of your stomach when you think about talking to them about it. Galatians 1.10, the last verse says, I am, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. How did Paul have the guts to have the hard conversations? He knew where his approval came from. See, if, if you're trying to gain the approval of your kids, you'll never have the hard conversations. If you're looking to your spouse, if you're looking to your friends, for the approval that you should actually be looking to God for. You will never have the hard conversations. And listen to me, if you never have the hard conversations, you will never break through to intimacy, which is what we all want. 
We'll just dance around the truth and the truth will get lost. How do you speak the truth? You speak it in love. How do you have the courage to speak the truth? By, by being real clear about where my esteem comes, where my identity comes from. My identity doesn't come from those around me. My identity doesn't come from whether you make a... You know, somebody asked me one time, they said, I need to make this conversation. We talked about how to do it in love. You do it for the other person's benefit. You pick the right time, you know, and and you use uh, careful words. But they said, well, what if they leave? What if they go away? And you know what? They might. You cannot control another person's response. But if your identity is in the Lord then you do the right thing and you allow the Holy Spirit to walk through the things that need to be walked through. And and that may be you. There may be someone who you need to talk to. So as I close, let me say this. Here are some questions. Have you received the gospel? Have you? Is, Is there a point in your life where you can say, you know what? I came to God and I said, I am a sinner. And... Jesus Christ, I believe, died for my sin. He was buried and he rose again. Just the very simple gospel. Have you received that? Have you received that? If you, if you haven't today, I want to challenge you to because God wants you to be in his family forever and that is the doorway. And so during our response time, maybe you want to get up and, and go to a cross and just take a little piece of paper. And uh, if it's helpful to do this, I just think it's helpful to get up and do something. And, and you get up and you go to the cross and you take that paper, it represents you, and you pin it to the cross. And you say, God, this is me and my sin, my, my future, everything that I am. And I believe that Jesus died for me and that he rose and that he is forever making intercession with you. And I want to live with you forever. And your future will be changed. You will have a new normal. Some of us today, we need to be baptized. We've done, uh, we've received the gospel, but we've never been baptized since we believed. I want to give you an opportunity to do that during response time. You just, here in this auditorium, you just go out through those doors right over there and, and we'll help you. And wherever you happen to be, your campus pastor will talk to you about that. Is, uh, is, there, is there anyone in your life trying to distort the new normal, adding legalism to Jesus? And I want you just to think about that. Is there anybody that maybe you need to have a hard conversation with? What is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for the goodness of God. I thank you for the truth of your gospel. God, I pray that hopefully today I've broken it down in a way that um, perhaps will speak to our hearts and our lives and that we'll respond in a way that honors you and glorifies you. Now, God, I ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this place right now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.